Hey, you found us. This is a podcast of Carbon Valley Lutheran Church in Firestone, Colorado, just north of Denver. We here at CVL firmly believe that community is built, not found, that it's local, not virtual. So we encourage everyone to find a local church and help them build their community and be a service to them. With that said, we pray that these podcasts supplement and not replace your spiritual journey. If you'd like to learn more about us at CVL, you can check us out on Facebook or on the web at carbonchurch.com, or even better, stop by in person. We worship at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings. May the Lord bless your day. We begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, on this wonderful weekend. I'm happy that you're here, are, are here again with us. We are on Sermon 4 in our sermon series, Systematically Walking Through the Book of Esther. Our overarching theme uh, is, is the silence that shouts. And so uh, the Book of Esther is a really unique book in the spectrum of the Bible where it gives us an uh, inside look at how believers were living their lives in a largely secular, morally ambiguous society called Persia under King Xerxes. And so um, we're able to draw lots and lots of of really wonderful, wonderful uh, um, lessons from this book of Esther. And and today we're going to continue walking through that. Most of you have heard the phrase, uh, being in the right place at the right time. And, and it's kind of a beautiful phrase because it, it has this sense of, uh, of, of everything is happening exactly how it should. And, uh, but we also probably know how often or how seldom, rather, we are in the right place at the right time. In fact, maybe even as I say that phrase, you can think uh, of a certain point in your life. Maybe it was in sports. Maybe it was at work. Maybe it was when you were a kid when it just seemed like everything came together, when you're in the right place at the right time. But I'd also venture to say that sometimes I think more often than not, I think that feeling is pretty fleeting. Like we'd love to hold on to it. We'd like to more often be the right, in the right place at the right time, but it seems to slip through our fingers. There's a woman named Dorothy Fletcher that understood that, that phrase, being in the right place at the right time, better than most. Uh, Dorothy was a grandma. She lived in Manchester, England, and she was headed over to Orlando, Florida. So Dorothy was, she was a little bit elderly, uh, but still in good health. Uh, there were no, no alarm uh, warning bells or alarm bells or anything like that. Um, and she was going to make a transatlantic flight from Manchester, England to Orlando. And so uh, the distance of that flight is long, right? So you're, you're literally in the air for hours upon hours upon hours, and there is nothing below you other than ocean. So once you get up, you're kind of committed, aren't you? Once you get into air, the air on a transatlantic flight, you're into it. You need to get to your destination or turn around and go back. And so Dorothy got on this flight and was excited about her trip to Florida, to Orlando, and they were actually probably about over three quarters into that flight when Dorothy started to have some problems. She started to sweat. She started to feel some pain in her chest and some tightness. And she started to to get in distress. And so she called the stewardess, uh, the flight attendant, to come. And the flight attendant checked her out. and, And sure enough, Dorothy was not doing well. In fact, she was going downhill quickly and the flight attendant recognized the signs of what was happening that that, uh, there was a good chance that Dorothy's heart wasn't working properly, wasn't beating in the way that it needed, and she was going downhill quickly. But there was a problem. 
you're still over the Atlantic Ocean. There was no easy way to go down. There was no easy way to turn and, and to cut the, the flight short. And so the flight attendant did what sometimes we see on movies. They went to the intercom and said, is there a doctor on board? Now, we've seen that in movies, and luckily there always seems to be a doctor on board. Right? But what are the chances that there is? Right? You never know. And especially in that moment, the flight attendant and Dorothy herself were thinking, um, this is not a good situation. We've really got nowhere to go. And so the flight attendant said, is there a doctor on board? And all of a sudden, 15 people stood up. The flight attendant was just amazed, like, what is happening? Sure enough, there was at least 15 doctors on that transatlantic flight to Orlando, Florida. They all stood up. They all knew exactly what to do. They came to Dorothy and they started ascertaining exactly what was going on, looking at her symptoms. Uh, they got the medical kit. They even hooked up an IV tour that they happened to have on the flight. And you want to know what else? Not only were there 15 doctors on that flight, but all 15 happened to be world-renowned cardiologists. In fact, all 15 were cardiologists that were headed from Manchester, England to Orlando, Florida for a cardiologist convention. Talk about being in the right place at the right time for the right person for Dorothy Fletcher. She was in trouble. She may have died without those people and their life-saving skills having been on that flight. Well, they took care of her, and she was okay, and they stabilized her, and they were able to divert and land in, in North Carolina, and, and Dorothy went on to live a happy, healthy life. But talk about being in the right place at the right time. And we may chalk that up to just saying that is just absolutely amazing. How fortunate for her, but how often that doesn't happen. But today, we're going to look at the story of Esther and how God placed her in exactly the right place at the right time. And we might be tempted to look at Esther and once again marvel and say, boy, how fortunate is that? But in truth, today what we're going to look at is your purpose. Because God has placed you in the right place at the right time in order to share his grace. And so that's exactly what we want to look into today. We're, that's what our theme is going to be. We're going to look at the silence that shouts out your purpose. Esther's purpose is clear from our text. And by the end, yours will be as well. Now, remember where our text takes place today, just a little bit of the setting. Uh, chapter 3 gave us the, the kind of incredible interaction and, and um, destruction that Haman's sinful pride had brought. Uh, long story short, Haman had convinced the king, King Xerxes, to uh, issue an edict to basically enact genocide of the Jewish people across all of Persia. So all of the Jews were going to be killed. The text actually says annihilated and destroyed, both young and old, um, adult and child, across all of Persia on a singular day. And so this is the, the death sentence that is hanging over all of the Jews in Persia. This is the death sentence that had come about because Mordecai chose not to bow down to the prideful, angry Haman. And so that's the point where our text picks up here today. We pick up in a place where Mordecai, on some level, is saying, 
what am I going to do? What has happened from the choice that I've made? And now what is, is going to happen to all of my people across all of the nation of Persia? And today we'll see how not only does Mordecai act, but also how Esther acts, but ultimately how God acts to prevent that genocide. And so I want to split it up into three different areas that we're going to look at from our text When we consider our purpose, why we are here where we are at, why you are at the place that you are, um, and when we consider our purpose, why does God have me here? The book of Esther in our text today gives us three things. Um, The first is the place of our purpose. So God tells us where that purpose is, the place of our purpose. The second one is uh, the sometimes threat to our purpose. And the last one is the power of our purpose. So the place of our purpose, the threat to our purpose, and the power for your purpose. Those are the three things that we're going to look at throughout our text here today. You're welcome to follow along with me if you'd like. I'm going to start by reading uh, just verses 1 and 2 as we look at the place of our purpose. Beginning in verse 1. When Mordecai learned of all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went out into the city, wailing loudly and bitterly. But he went only as far as the king's gate, because no one clothed in sackcloth was allowed to understand it. Now, understand Mordecai's place, where he was, who Mordecai was, and what he was now doing uh, on behalf of his people. So now, uh, most historians, most theologians and historians um, speculate or, or assume that Mordecai was uh, a mid-level government worker. So he had some access to Xerxes and Haman. He had some access to the inner workings of the secular society of Persian government. So um, may, maybe uh, um, like a, a mid-level governmental employee, many people think that Mordecai was actually an accountant, uh, that that was, that was his job. But he had some access to the upper echelon of government. He knew how it worked. He knew uh, who was there. He knew how to be in the right place at the right time. And so Mordecai's place was in that government. But at this point, Mordecai's people are going to be wiped out, including himself. And so what do we see Mordecai do with his place within that government? He weeps. In fact, our text says that he wept bitterly. He put on ashes and sackcloth. Sackcloth is the maybe the equivalent, best equivalent we have is, is like burlap, right? So he took off um, his fancy day clothes and, and his business casual outfits and he put on sackcloth. And it says that he went through the entire city. Now understand how the city of Susa was largely set up in most cities back then. Uh, there were uh, a, a series of walls and if you were within those walls, you were more safe from marauders and, and other, other enemies and things like that. But the city absolutely was separated off into different sections. And so it says that Mordecai went throughout the city. So we're talking down the main streets where everyone was and he wept and he cried and he was in sackcloth and ashes. And he continued that approach, that march all the way up to the king's gate. Now, normally the king's gate and the king's palace was a separate entity. It almost invariably was at the highest point in the city. It had a separate gate and separate walls to be able to guard against any enemies that would be coming in. And in order to go into the king's palace and the king's courtyard, there were very strict protocols. And so understand Mordecai's place. He's a governmental worker. 
He's got some security, he's got some money, he's got some influence, but when he hears that his people are going to be killed, he puts on sackcloth and ashes and openly weeps bitterly throughout the entire town of Susa. Now that wouldn't have been easy for him to do. In fact, even in our society, we think about that. How, um, how highly do we look upon people that, that weep publicly right? or in front of you? We say, okay, well, we, we love a, a few tears, right? We, love a, we, we put up with a little bit of vulnerability. Like maybe you can express a little bit of vulnerability in a few tears, but like blubbering, weeping bitterly? No, we don't want anything to do with that. And yet Mordecai, in the place that he was at, knew that this was the appropriate response when not only himself, but all of his people were under the threat of death. He was not afraid to use his place, his position in that secular government to make a dent, to make a point, and to to, um, be an advocate for his people and for life. That was Mordecai's place. He expressed pain and sorrow over the impending death for his people throughout the entire city. And so he chose to use his place in that society in a very public way, in a purposeful way, in order to make a dent and hopefully change the situation. But how about you and I? Where is your place? I'll give you the short answer. Your place is here. Wherever God has placed you. You maybe have a job that is actually remarkably similar to Mordecai. Maybe you work within government agencies and work with numbers. Maybe you have some degree of influence within that arena. But for each and every one of us, if we want to know the place of our purpose, it's here. It's right where you are at on this weekend. And what does that look like? Well, I think those places, the here of you, run the entire spectrum. Engineers in aerospace industry, mothers and fathers at home with kids, teachers in our public school, software engineers who keep us online, construction managers, accountants, tire sales, salespersons, packaging sales, chiropractors, homeschoolers, film directors, musicians, small business owners, airline pilots, nurses, doctors, retirees, bankers and the banking industry, city business managers, clerks, tellers, husbands, wives, grandpas, grandmas. Now, if you think that that was just a generic list that I rattled off or I read, it wasn't. Do you know that all of those industries, all of those areas of our community and our society come from our church alone at CVL? That is just you, CVL. We consider ourselves a small mission church. What impact, what dent can we make on our community or on the world around us? Do you you understand how many hears we have, how many places God has put you for good purpose, to share his grace, to make a dent on the community and the world in which we live. See, you and I are no different than Mordecai. Every single one of you has a here, a place that God has put you, and he has not put you there by accident, and he has not put you there to simply just float along. He's put you there to make a dent. He's put you there for good purpose. He's put you there to share his grace. But therein also lies the issue. 
because sometimes making a dent can hurt. Esther would come to know that. Mordecai was experiencing that as well. But I think we know that as well in our lives. And so if uh, we find our place of our purpose, it's where you're at. The second thing we have to look at is what's the threat to that purpose? We find that in our text as well. Follow along with me if you'd like. I'm going to read from verses 11 through 13. All the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they be put to death unless the king extends the golden scepter to them and spares their lives. But 30 days have passed since I was called to the king. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are, the king, are in the king's house that you alone of all the Jews will escape. Mordecai sends word to Esther and really kind of puts it to her. He says, Esther, you are in a place. You are the queen of all of Persia. And so Mordecai pleads with her to do something, to use her place of her purpose for the good of the Jewish people. But you can maybe feel a little bit of Esther's hesitancy, right? Because the law of the Medes and Persians, the law of King Xerxes was if anybody just just willingly walked into the king's presence, the law dictated that you would be put to death. The only reprieve from that would be the king's golden scepter saying, "I'll, I'll have mercy on this person. And to add to that... Esther hadn't seen seen King Xerxes in over 30 days. Think of how much goes through your head, the narrative that goes in your head when you don't see or talk to uh, your husband or wife or a friend or a family member just for a day or two, right? Much less 30 days. Imagine the narrative that she was weaving in her head about what Xerxes must think of her now. Xerxes hadn't called for her. She hadn't been with him. What did he think of her? Was he angry at her? Was she holding on by a thread? All of these things surely were running through Esther's mind because for her to go there, to take that chance, Esther would have lost everything. And now remember exactly what Esther had to lose. She was the queen of all of Persia. This former orphan who had been adopted by Mordecai had risen to the level of the queen of all of Persia, the the biggest country and superpower in the world at the time. And she was beautiful. She was incredibly attractive. She had youth. So she had power. She had youth. She had beauty. Esther had all kinds of things at her disposal, gifts that God had placed into her life and with her. But she absolutely had something to lose. And all of those things, I think, were going through her mind. If I do this, I'll lose it all. And most likely, I'll lose my life. And so the threat to our purpose often can be the very things that God has blessed us with. Our gifts and our blessings and our abilities at times can swallow our purpose if we let them. I think that absolutely was going through Esther's mind at this point. But I think it goes through our minds as well. Because remember that list of all the places that you are at where God has put you purposefully? All of those places... If we want to make a dent 
And at times, if we choose to do the right thing in God's eyes, which may be the wrong thing in the eyes of the world around us, we run the risk of losing what we've been given. And so our gifts, our blessings, at times can swallow our purpose. And I think you've felt it. I'm sure Esther and Mordecai felt it as well. When we are at work, when we choose to do the right thing, even in gray, nebulous areas, even in the moral ambiguity, we choose to do the right thing, we may very well lose promotions, lose sway, lose, lose our upward advancement. We may even lose your job, may affect your finances. We run the risk when we try to make a dent as Christians this side of heaven of allowing our gifts to swallow up our purpose because it's much easier not to make a dent. It's much easier to just let things slide by. It's much easier to simply, in large part, live by the rules of the secular society in which we live and then go to church on Sunday. And yet if we do that, we're falling far short of the purpose that God has laid out for each and every one of us. Imagine for a moment if Esther had chosen to allow her gift of beauty, power, and position to swallow her purpose. Because she didn't have to go into the king's presence. She didn't have to risk those things. But if she hadn't, she never would have made a dent. If she hadn't, she never would have been, would have been able to save her people the people around her. Same is true for you and I. God has not placed you where you're at for no purpose. He has not given you the gifts he's given you for no purpose. And can that at times be painful? And will there be times when you suffer loss and when you bear the cross of Christ? Absolutely. And yet God gives us this promise that he will use even those moments, even the difficult moments for our blessing and for the good of those around us. And so, we find the place of our purpose. It's you. It's where you're at right here, right now. And we resist the temptation to let our gifts swallow that purpose and really our threat to that purpose. And how do we do that? Well, that's the third thing we want to look at, the power for our purpose. Let me continue on with verse four through, uh, verses four rather, and 15 and 16 says this, For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. So now imagine Mordecai really kind of putting it to Esther with that last phrase. And who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. It's a pretty powerful statement, isn't it? It must have been because it, was, it changed how Esther reacted. Continue on in 15 and 16. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, Go gather all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And here's Esther's words. And if I perish, I perish. Pretty powerful, isn't it? See, Esther chose to use the place of her purpose and the gifts she had been given for the good of her people. 
If I perish, I perish. It may sound a little bit morbid, but it's an incredible statement of faith, isn't it? What was Esther saying? I'll risk it all. My beauty, my wealth, my career, my position. I'll risk it all for the sake of my God above. And brothers and sisters, I think we are asked the very same thing as believers this side of heaven. Are we willing to put our God above in front of the gifts that we've been given? Is our God above more important than all of the earthly blessings that we have? Our careers, our wealth, our children, our relationships, our status within our society and within uh, the places that God has put us. Are we willing to put God first and allow God to take care of the rest? Esther was in our text. And God used that purpose and that place and her willingness to bring life. More specifically, stop genocide. But brothers and sisters, God does the same thing for you and I. Um, It may be painful, but God will use it for life. And how do we get there? Is it just by being inspired by Esther and her willingness, her and Mordecai, and their willingness to, to risk it all for the sake of their people? I think we can be inspired by the story of Esther. And I think we should be inspired by Esther and what she was willing to do But in truth, if if she was just an inspiration for us, if this story is just a, a beautiful example, that will wear off. It won't power you through a lifetime of living your life, life in glory to your God above. Esther needed something else, and so do you and I. And we have it in Jesus Christ. And so if you want to know the power for your purpose, it comes from no other place than Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And so ultimately, it's not just a good example of Esther and Mordecai, but your power for living and sharing God's grace comes specifically from Jesus Christ. And his purpose was you. Jesus was born, lived his life perfectly, was not swayed from that purpose because it was you. Jesus gave his life on the cross so that your sins would be washed clean, so that you would know that you have salvation, so that you would know that he has placed you right here, right now, for a purpose in order to share his life-giving grace with the world around you. And so if you want power for your purpose, you look to Christ, because it is there that you are assured that you are forgiven, that you are empowered to share life with the world around you. Dorothy Fletcher uh, on that transatlantic flight uh, was trying to get to Orlando, Florida, but it's interesting why she was going there. Specifically, she was flying to Orlando in order to attend her daughter's wedding. It was, it was wonderful that she had 15 cardiologists that saved her life and allowed her to make it to that wedding. But brothers and sisters, you have something far greater than a bunch of doctors on a on a flight across the Atlantic Ocean. You have the great physician, Jesus Christ, as your Lord and Savior. And his life-giving message has not only uh, revived and fixed your broken heart, but it also reassures you that your destination is that eternal banquet, that wedding feast in eternity in heaven with him. And so as you continue here in your life, as you find your purpose right here, right now, in order to share God's grace, let that be a reminder that heaven is your destination. Let Jesus 
Power your purpose in the places in which you live and with the people with whom you interact, your family, your friends, and your community. With Christ in your heart and at your side. I pray your purpose brings life just as Esther and Mordecai's did. And let us always look forward to that eternal feast that we, that we so long for, a reunion with our God above and with Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Amen.